I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. Today on the podcast, I'll be speaking with Emma. Emma takes us through her initial eptopic pregnancy and then needing to do IVF to get pregnant. She then takes us through her induction and her birth story. She also talks about how she processed this later on once her baby was born. This is a great episode and I hope you enjoy it. Hey Emma, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, so I'm Emma and I live in Wellington, New Zealand, and I have a four and a half month old Amelie and my partner. We just got married actually two weeks ago with a four month Oh, old. amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys? Uh, it definitely was a journey. Um, back in 2015, we weren't trying to get pregnant and I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy. So, oh, that, okay. yeah. So it just kind of from there made fertility and pregnancy and having a family like on my radar constantly, like, oh, is it going to happen for me? You know, now, because my one of my fallopian tubes ruptured during that experience, so I lost uh, one. Yeah. So then I had a million questions, and then they ended up testing my other one, and that had had damage from the same experience. So then to get pregnant was a whole new journey because I had to do uh, IVF, which is an experience all on its own, you know, let alone – not having fallopian tubes. Yes, yeah. And yeah. what was the sort of process for IVF like? What what were the steps that you had to take with that? Well, I had we had to be trying to have a baby because I still had one fallopian tube before I had it tested. We had to be trying for like a year before they would go and look at other things on why we couldn't get pregnant. So then we started like, it sounds weird, but I think a lot of women do it like a scheduled kind of, routine to you know make sure it was all happening at the right time which obviously wasn't working and then they said they would um, do a dye test through my fallopian tube that I had remaining and it was blocked you know the dye didn't come out the other end and then they said you know you need to go see your GP and move forward with getting them to refer you to um, the fertility associate in Wellington yeah which we did and that was a scary experience you know, you show up there and they run you through the process and whether or not you want to have it funded or go privately and how expensive that is. Yeah. And then all the drugs you'll have to take. You know, I'm not a huge fan of needles and it's all about needles and syringes. Yeah. And 
yeah, so it was scary. And we decided to go privately. We just wanted to start, you know, I guess you have to yeah. wait a certain amount of time. And we thought we could wait that time and then it could happen. And then it, we don't get pregnant where if we just pay for it and it doesn't work, we can then reassess. And so we decided to go ahead with it. We started, I was doing, I had like an EP pen almost. And you yep. inject yourself every day. I did that for about a week. And then I had a scan to see if the follicles in my ovaries were developing. Those were doing great. We managed to get, I think, 26 eggs. And then 12 of them were good enough to be fertilized. And then out of those 12, I think we ended up with, or we did end up with eight embryos. Yeah. Which... You know, I'm pretty positive about my partner would love to have all eight, but, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how did you find the um, drugs that you were taking? Did they change? feel like they changed your mood or did you notice any other side effects from those? Yeah, I was really emotional. Everything uh, would make me sad or, yeah. you know, I ended up having a few little, not big arguments, but disagreements with a few family members because, we decided not to tell anyone, so it was hard to explain why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Yeah. And getting emotional and slightly short-tempered. Because you, yeah, it's a lot of hormones rushing through your body at once, and it does make you feel different. Like, at first I was all exciting. I was like, yes, I can't believe we're doing this. And by the end of the week, I was like, yeah, I'm really glad that this is slowly coming to an end. Like, yeah. I want to be yeah. myself again. And so did it just take the one sort of round of IVF for you to get pregnant or do you want to take us through that experience? Yeah, it actually only just took the one round. Um, we went in and they said, oh, we'll have you wait a month because I had some sort of like hyper reaction to the drugs. So you, your hormones are really high and so you have yeah. to wait for them to come back down and kind of settle before they will um, do an embryo transfer. After that, they transferred the embryo and it, you know, I was excited I was actually, I, I think most women do this. Like, I was like, can I go to the toilet? Am I going to pee it out? They were like, no, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. should stay in place. And it was all good for the first, I think, two weeks. And then in about, I think it was week four, five, four or five. And, um, I started to have a lot of bleeding, like a period almost. And I was actually yeah. away on holiday. I was out of the country when this was happening away from my partner, at a cousin's wedding, just like, oh, it didn't work. I was really emotional. And I rang my doctor and he did say, you know, you need to prepare for the worst, you know. And I finally got back and they scanned me and it turns out I had a hematoma in my uterus. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is can sometimes happen when they do an embryo transfer. It's just a bruise and it's just kind of bleeding so to clear itself and eventually it went away on its own at like 20 weeks pregnant but oh wow that was really traumatizing because I guess every time I would go to the toilet I was like damn it you know it's not hasn't worked yeah yeah and then you'd have I'd have a scan and then I'd say no it's fine so that was an emotional roller coaster yeah it was like so many highs and so many lows like the highs every time you had a scan but you can't have a scan every week to yeah. Reassure yourself. And so you obviously found out that you were pregnant and then you're sort of having all of these 
highs and these lows throughout that time? Did you experience any other symptoms of pregnancy, like morning sickness or anything like that? I had a little bit of nausea and that was about it, you know, which I feel really lucky for because being sick and bleeding, like you're having a period for 20 weeks would have been horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And did you have a plan of where you thought you might want to deliver or how a sort of birth plan that you were hoping to go with or you sort of just wanted to go with the flow? I was quite keen to have a home birth and my partner, he was not so keen. I guess, you know, having being the first child, he was a bit like, oh, you know, I feel safe if we were just at the hospital. Yeah. You know, anything happens, we're in good hands. So we did end up going to the hospital, but it was very go with the flow. Whatever was hap- was going to happen was going to happen. I was fine with that. Yeah, awesome. And did you go to any antenatal classes or anything before you went into labor? I did. I went to um, like a holistic one, which was really helpful on birth and, you know, breastfeeding. I would have liked maybe a little bit more information on <laughs> life with a newborn. You know, like yeah. once you get home with a newborn and actually yeah. how tired you are that you have a newborn. And also just things that could potentially go wrong during birth would have been helpful for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. And did you end up going into labor naturally? Do you want to take us through that? No, I didn't. So I had to be induced. So we went in on a Friday and I had my waters broken and then nothing happened. So then they put me on a drug called Sintocin, I'm pretty sure, which um, just kind of starts your contractions for you and they're really intense and they're really painful. Um, I think a few hours in I was having contractions like every minute for like 45 seconds long and then you might Mm. get a short break and they were very intense. I think we did six hours without any drugs then. At that point, I was like, I can't know. You know, I want to have an epidural. And, of course, I think most women do this. I, you know, before going into labor, I said, you know, I want to do it naturally. I want it to be as natural as possible. If I ask for an epidural, just remind me that I said no. And he's there reminding <laughs> yeah. me, and I'm like, I don't care what I said. Like, I'm in so much pain. You know, I need an yeah. epidural. And so then the anesthetist popped in, and he had just come out of, like, a two-hour surgery. And so... There were a few attempts that didn't quite work out. So I think I had, he tried five times before, oh, wow. um, before it came right. And I was like, no, I can't feel that anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I guess at that point I was in so much other pain that what he was doing didn't really bother me. I was like, I don't care. Just keep trying to get it right. <laughs> so the epidural was great. You know, I was able to then have a sleep and just kind of, relax until I was fully dilated. Um, there was a moment there where it started to wear off and they just had to, you know, boost it up a bit. But other than that, it was, it was great. I went into, I was fully dilated at about 10 past one in the morning. And then we started pushing and pushing was going well. You know, um, Amelie, my baby was pretty low to begin with. And they started pushing, they're like, oh, you know, you can actually see, and like you feel her head and see her head. And I think I pushed for about an hour and then my midwife was like, right, this isn't going anywhere. 
and Emily's heart rate started to drop. She was very calm. She just said, I'm going to leave the room for a minute, Emma. And then all of a sudden she had come back with like six other people. Yeah. And then I kind of realized, oh, this must not be normal, you know. And we figured out that actually Emily's shoulder was locked under my pelvic bone. And so she, so no matter how much pushing I was doing, she wasn't going to come out. You know, we yeah. managed to get her, her head out with the help of some of those people. And then from there they were saying, right, we only have six minutes to now get her out before she loses consciousness. I'm just like, what? Like six minutes doesn't seem like a very long time. And so there was a lot of, you know, helping me push. I had one midwife pushing down on my stomach to help Amelie come out. And then I had a doctor who's down the other end and she had to give me a little snip because she thought that would help and that wouldn't help. And in the end, a midwife actually had to grab Amelie's arm, so put her hands in and grab Amelie's arm and break Amelie's clavicle. Oh, no. To release her arm from my, underneath my pelvic bone. And then from there, she just kind of came out. Oh, um, yeah. But she wasn't really crying and she was a little bit purple, so she had to um, <laughs> make her way to the resuscitation table. And she was breathing on her own. And, and yeah. that was very traumatic for me, I think, because guess in every movie you see them just hand you the baby yeah perfect and yeah and then yeah that was yeah I think that was the most traumatic is just not receiving her when I felt like I should have yeah and so did you know that you were having a baby girl yeah I did know I yeah I'm one of those people who couldn't wait nine (laughs) yeah yeah I get that and once she was sort of checked over by the doctors or midwife what was the process after that were you able to hold her or did they have to sort of um deal with her clavicle so I was able to hold her not straight after because not all my placenta had come out so then they were now worried about that so I still had one midwife pushing down on my stomach to get the rest of my placenta out they were um, talking about taking me into surgery to remove it it was, I think I lost like over, like over a liter of blood just trying to get that placenta yeah. out. So that was like another, I would say maybe half an hour of just getting that out. So I didn't actually get to hold Emily until after that process. Yeah. Um, and they were happy that the rest of the placenta had come away. Yeah. Yes, they were. Um, the only highlight I see in that happening is I didn't bleed much after birth because I think they had just pushed it all out. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't need a blood transfusion or anything like that from the blood loss? Uh, no, I didn't. So I had no. been taking iron tablets throughout my pregnancy, so my hemoglobin was quite high. So at that point it was yeah. sitting at 100, which is I think they think is like average to low, but, you know, it's doable. You can live on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so once you were able to hold her, what was sort of that like? What was the emotions that you felt and did she latch on? Yeah, I just cried. Like, yeah. I was just so happy to have her. I guess when you do IVF, like she really is the gift at the end. And so the journey yeah. in itself to sort of receive her is such an emotional high. And she was a big baby. 
She's about nine and a half pounds, so she just latched on straight away. <laughs> yeah. There were no issues there. She just fed and fed and fed. So I only oh, stayed and... at the hospital for the one night. Um, at that point, I was just ready to be home and in my own space. And Which in awesome. hindsight, and... now I think I would have stayed one more night. Yeah. Do you think just you would have got a little bit more rest or help from the midwives or? Yeah, I think, yeah, I would have had a little bit more help from the midwives. Um, my milk didn't come until day six. So it would have been nice just having a little bit of support mm. around that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And so once you got home, obviously you've got a newborn baby and you said your milk didn't come until day six. What was that? experience like for you emotionally and how did you physically go recovering from birth? I think that those first couple of days are actually the, had been the hardest days of my life. So yeah, the first day we were back was fine and it was like the second day. So Emily was starving and crying. I think she slept all of maybe an hour, that whole 24 hours. And yeah. I was getting serious mum guilt and I think the next day I woke up at 6am and I just said to my partner, you need to go to the supermarket and you need to get some formula. He was like, oh, yeah. you know, antenatal said breast is best. I was like, no, a fed baby is best right now. And yeah. you know, I'm going yeah. crazy. We're like, we were both just going crazy, Emily and I, because she was starving and I couldn't feed her because yeah. I didn't have any milk. She was a big baby. So she was, you know, wanting to latch on all of the time. And I felt really guilty, like, right up to giving it to her. It wasn't until after I'd fed it the formula to her. It was only 20 mils that I realized that I was still catering for her needs. It wasn't breast milk, but it was food. And she yeah. was a completely different baby after that. I think she slept for three hours after she <laughs> had that formula. And, she, you know, yeah. I slept that three hours too, and we were both just different people after that. Yeah. We were able to kind of catch up on the sleep that we lost while giving birth and being in hospital. And so she did, she had formula for that first month. And then, you know, you do feel a bit bad giving them formula, but you have to do what you have to do. And she naturally weaned herself off formula and has just been fully breastfed ever since. But it's amazing what mum guilt can do to you. Like I put it off for a few days. Yeah. I was like, no, you know, breast is best. And I think that was getting to me too. So it didn't help with my recovery that I was stressing about what my baby was eating and, yeah. how she was getting fed. Once I realized that I was, I felt like I was doing the right thing for my situation and my child recovery kind of just took it, you know, just kind of worked out for us. You know, my stitches healed pretty quickly. I was up and at it, you know, a week later, just out and about going for walks. Yeah. And obviously once you started breastfeeding again, probably your emotions would have changed towards that. Did you feel like there was anything that helped you when you were formula feeding or breastfeeding that, that sort of helped you deal with the mum guilt, like you said, or was it just to simply my baby's being fed and, and I have to be, I have to know that that's the right thing? Yeah, I think I'm an early childhood teacher. Like that's my job. So I do see a lot of babies that are formula fed and, I think for me, I just had to use that as those children I work with on the daily are fine and happy, healthy, healthy children. Yeah. So my baby will be happy and healthy too, regardless of if she's on formula or breast milk. You know, yeah. there's definitely pros and cons to both, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. I definitely felt better once my milk came in. Like emotionally, I was like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm doing this. 
right now and I feel like I should, you know, feed her the breast milk because it's there and she's latching well. But I, yeah, it was just, it's a really fine line, you know, between doing the right thing and feeling like you aren't doing the right thing. But as a mother, I think you should always trust your gut instincts because what's right for you and your child might not be what's right for another family and their children. Yeah. I think just what worked for me is I had no expectations. Well, to be honest, I did. When I was pregnant, I was like, oh, we'll do this and this and this. You know, at work, we teach the babies this. And actually, when they're your own, you just should have no expectations because it's a different relationship when they're your own child. Uh, There should just be no rules, you know, you just do what works. Totally agree. And you said earlier on that your husband would like all eight of those babies if he could have. Do you think that um, you'll follow the same sort of IVF process again and try for another baby in the future? Yeah, I think we will. We definitely have to do IVF again. There's no way we can have children in our eyes unless you adopt. But, yeah, we will definitely do the same process. Hopefully it's just as successful. Um, I don't know if I want eight, but I definitely want a couple more. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. Did you do anything to sort of help you um, process the birth that you had had? Yeah, I did. I've kind of written it all down. I had to write it down to process it because it was really intense. But also at the time, once you receive your baby, that kind of drifts off into the distance. And it's not till you're at home by yourself. I think my partner had gone back to work at this point that I was sitting there like, that was really an intense emotional roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I was living on the high of just having this newborn and then actually once it kind of wore off, it was like, um, that was quite traumatic for me. And your partner can't, like he can relate, but he can't relate because it, it didn't happen to him physically. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was nice to join some mum groups and meet other women who had been through just as traumatic births as I. Yeah, yeah, that's nice to have other people to talk to who sort of understand your situation probably better than anyone else. Yeah, yeah it was. And just awesome. to have a support crew that isn't your partner, you know? You know, as much as your yeah. partner is there to help you, and I love my partner, he's great. It was nice to talk to a woman who'd actually been through it. Yeah. You know? And obviously her um, clavicle has healed fine. Yeah, so it's just like if you break your clavicle when you're an adult, there's nothing they can do about it. It just has to heal on its own. Um, the hardest yeah. part with that was she didn't want to lie down on her back. She constantly wanted to be on us, I think, for comfort. She didn't like the capsule. Yeah. The yeah. strap going across. She didn't like the pram. So she was constantly in the front pack <laughs> for the first couple yeah. of weeks of her life. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Emma. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.